Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. What a weekend of Serie A we have just witnessed. I'm your host, Connor Clancy. I'm joined by Kev Pogzowski. Kev, hello. Hi, Connor. How are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. And I think you know why I'm not too bad, because we have Mr. Vito Doria returning to the pod. Vito, welcome back. It's great to see you. Thank you, Connor. Yeah, glad to be back. Um Without uh, boring or depressing our listeners too much, I haven't had the best start to 2021, but uh, just easing back into things now and uh, doing something like a podcast with you guys. We've pretty much been the same trio for about two years, I'd say. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to doing my first pod for 2021. Oh, it is great to have you back. I was getting a bit fed up just speaking to Kev all the time, to be honest, Vito. So thank you for returning to to <laughs> chat to us um guys we have a lot of big football to talk about i should say just from the off that we are recording this immediately off the back of inter's 2-0 win over juve in the derby d'italia so sorry milan fans but the monday night fixture hasn't played into your hands this weekend in terms of getting onto the podcast um milan away at Cagliari on monday evening as i said uh, so let's start with the Derby d'Italia then, Kev. Inter won for the first time in this fixture since 2016. It finished 2-0, but that result flatters Juve, if anything. Yeah, when I sort of was watching the game, I, at, at no point, even though they took a lead uh, that was chalked, up, uh, chalked off uh, uh, offside, I had little to no confidence that Juve were ever getting anything from the game. And it was very dominant for an Inter, and there was a there was a touch of desperation about uh, Juventus. I, I I couldn't tell you the the actual minute that the Inter got their second goal, but it had the it had the feeling of a 
uh, a side one goal behind, really, you know, pushing for the pushing for a, a late equaliser, and the other side sort of just breaking away, and sort of the emphatic finish by Barella and the way that the uh, the Inter players celebrated, like it was game over. And I don't know, somebody tell me, was that like 57, 58 minute or something? Fifty second. Yeah, it's so early, but there was just that air of the game is done. That's how, that's how weak a fight you they put up. Am I alone in thinking that? While I was watching this, it didn't feel other than the the ten minute firework display that that saw in kickoff and the fireworks that reacted to Inter's first goal. This never had the feel of um of a derby. It felt like it was just Inter against one of the the also runs in Serie A because Juve didn't put up anything. It had a it had a bit of intensity to it, a bit like when we saw Milan face Juventus a um, couple of rounds ago. But it was all on Inter's side, as opposed to two sides going at each other. Uh, you know, I say I thought Inter were brilliant to a man. You know, just the 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 intensity of which they approached the game. You know, snapping into recovering the balls, going forward with purpose. But again, it was all on one side. Well, when I look at this game, I just think that, uh, as Connor was pointing out, that uh, 2-0 does look a bit generous. Generous. Inter should have won more comprehensively. And if I'm going to criticise uh, Juventus and particularly the lack of intensity, I think uh, that played a lot into the Nerozzurri's hands. And also, whenever they had possession... Juve looked very pedestrian and uh, simplistic in their ideas. There wasn't enough variation or great movement as well. It just looked very predictable and they weren't particularly imaginative. With all those attacking outlets, um, Pirlo should be utilising them better. But in this case, I think uh, Conte really outcoached him and uh, Inter showed that they were a much better drilled unit. Do you think this feat was a bit of an indictment on Pirlo as a coach? He's still obviously cutting his teeth. It's still a very steep learning curve for him in, in Serie A this year. But he was very much dominated by Conte this time. Absolutely. There have been games where Juventus have really looked a class above the opposition and have played a bit more openly than, say, maybe not like uh, in the Sarri era, but compared to, say, the Max Allegri era, um, they have had moments where they've been uh, playing some open, a bit more attractive football, and looked like that they're a cohesive unit and uh, a bit more pleasing on the eye than usual. In games like this, they've shown that uh, they can be caught out, that um, especially in the defensive phase, they looked surprisingly... Um, disorganised and they were rather open at the back even with uh, such uh, defensive stalwarts such as Bonucci and Chiellini um, uh, Pirlo would obviously be be disappointed with this uh, result but it also shows that uh, he is indeed raw as a coach and uh, against someone like Conte who might not be the most tactically savvy of all coaches but uh, he is experienced, he is a proven winner, at least in domestic competitions. So, yeah, with his experience, Conte, he showed uh, that uh, he was more aware of the situation and the circumstances than what Pirlo was. 
disorganized sums up their situation on the second goal for sure. Scott Munro, a former writer of FIF and longtime listener of the podcast, tweeted a photo of from way up in the skies at San Siro of the moment where Alessandro Bastoni played that ball forward. And you've got Giorgio Chiellini, I think it is, or no, it would be Benucci because it's the, the right centre-back, is probably about 10 yards into Juve's own half. So he's playing on Romelu Lukaku and anyone else who wanted to venture forward into the, to the Juve half. No one else is on that side of the halfway line. You know, the other centre-back is five yards ahead of it. The On the right, another five yards ahead of it. It's just, just acres of space for Barella to run into and score. But Kev, that takes us on to Barella because he got the assist for the opener and got the goal. And what a goal it was to, to seal the win at 2-0. But what a performance from him. He's, what, 23? And he is an outstanding footballer. And he showed it on the biggest stage possible this evening. Yeah, I think I said before, there were so many good performances, it's hard to single somebody out. But for, for someone of his age, the way at which he went about you know, his duties, again, recovering the ball, driving the side forward, sort of, I was going to say geeing up other players, but, you know, they were all pretty pretty up for it. And I nearly used to have a star in the making. I think he's been a star for a little while now. And um, what a signing, really, um, to, you know, the, the foresight to see what he could probably bring long-term to you. Because, let's face it, under Conte, they've, they've had a bit of a habit of, of, of picking two-thirds of their players up, certainly towards the end of their career. Um, mm. And one of those that we'll probably speak about, they got the first goal. Um, I saw you notice something that he did oh my God. Amongst, amongst the Juve players uh, yeah. pre-game. But um, yeah, uh, if they're going <laughs> to sort of, you know, take the take the title this year, I think Borrell is going to be crucial to that. I completely agree. Completely agree. And yeah, y- y- it is tempting to call him a star in the making, right? Because he doesn't quite seem like he's peaked yet either. He's he's constantly improving. He, I think his biggest forward step has been his discipline. And maybe that's just because he's playing beh- beside someone like Arturo Vidal that his discipline problems aren't noticed as often. But when he was at Cagliari, he was, he was a hothead, you know, and he would do ridiculous things, talk himself into stupid yellow cards and kick people silly. But he seems to have calmed down a little bit now. And yeah, what a phenomenal player. I think I don't think there's much disputing that he's probably Italy's best midfielder. Uh, between him and Bastoni, Inter probably have in Italy's two hottest prospects on the books there as well. But Vito, a lot of people were bigging up Alessandro Bastoni for that pass to Nicola Barella. But am I alone in thinking that he was trying to pick out Lukaku but slipped and ended up slicing it into Barella's path. Hmm. I don't know about that. I just want to appreciate it for what a lovely <laughs> pass it is, to be honest. And uh, Bastoni, um, despite having defenders next to him like Davrai and Skrinia, who are a bit older, a bit more experienced, um, Bastoni comes across as the one with the most confidence on the ball, in my view. He seems to have more room under Conte to roam from that back line. And uh, I rarely see him uh, really waste the ball. Okay, maybe in the last two, three rounds, he's probably been responsible for conceding some soft goals. But if we're talking about uh, 
this season in general and even last season um is become a really exciting ball playing defender and uh, yeah he's another player that really looks like he can uh, go up several levels and improve but even for what we see of him now he's already an, an impressive footballer it's crazy isn't it because he's 21 you know and it's one of these cases where Cav, I'll let you come in in a minute. It's one of these cases where Conte dismissed all of these players that Inter signed from only Sassuolo and Sensi, only Parma in Bastoni, and then only who was the other one? Barella, only Cagliari in Barella. But what a crop of talent they have there, um, Kev. Yeah, because he because he plays so wide uh, on the left of the three. And because he's so tall and he sort of always takes up a fullback position, he always kind of sticks out because he's so tall, which is quite rare in a fullback. It wasn't the point I was making. I just I always find that quite interesting when I'm sort of watching the game that <laughs> he sticks out. But I, I wonder because uh, Juve, even when they play a four, but if one, one, one of the fullbacks is pushing forward, they almost split into a, a very wide three with this sort of central defender. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they're, they're, they're playing the numbers there. And Conte said, if there's a chance, you know, if they're pressed high on us, if you can release that ball into the gap between either of those defenders, Lukaku's, um, you know, intelligent movement and speed will allow him to get in that gap. Or if they can get runners like Barella did for the second goal, I, I would, you know, as much as he slipped while he was delivering the pass, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it was uh, part of their sort of plan tonight. Yeah, it might well have been like a, it it was a, a bit of slice of luck, but the idea was still the same, you know, to get it forward quickly and exploit those spaces. But Bastoni, I remember when he had that season on loan at Parma, I can't remember if it was from Atalanta or if he had signed for Inter and then they had loaned him to Parma immediately. But when he played alongside Bruno Alves, it was, it was amazing the, the difference he made when he played and when he didn't. And in those early weeks, Bruno would like almost hold his hand through every game and there would be constant communication but then as the season went on there was just more of an understanding Bastoni knew what to do knew where to be and he knew how to play and when he left Palmer regressed and I don't think it was a coincidence because I mean Jacoponi and Gagliolo all due respect that they're not half the player that Bastoni is even at what was he then 19 really really big talent but <laughs> this is I guess it's a controversial opinion to have, maybe, but Alistair McKenzie tweeted, and it's something that I absolutely agree with, which is that this win kind of just shows, Vito, that Inter probably have the most complete squad in Serie A, and you could say he said that the title is almost theirs to lose. Uh, look, I can agree with the assessment that they are the most complete team in uh, Serie A because they do have the right components for the way Contest sets up the team. Uh, after you know having to deal with this whole kerfuffle of um, trying to integrate Ericsson into the team, they've just stuck with the 3-5-2 and with the standard uh, usage of that, uh, they got the players that are suited for it, and it's starting to work again. Um, as for the idea of them have, being the title for them to lose, uh, look, probably in some parts, maybe because they've tried to integrate Ericsson, that has been a problem. And then, of course, there's uh, 
Conte's uh, well-renowned stubbornness. So in that regards, you could say that. But at the moment, they're still not leading the Scudetto chase. And uh, AC Milan, with a weaker squad on paper, uh, are still on top of the league. So I think... uh, you know, if it was really interest to lose, they would have been dominating the league and then possibly having a slip. But so far, um, Milan as a unit, they've been the standout side and they've been the ones that are truly getting the best out of themselves. It's the absence of Europe for me. I mean, from here until the end of the season, Inter and Conte have a week to work on every single game. Whereas Milan, depending on how far they go in the Europa League, they, they won't have that luxury. And I think if you gave both Pioli and Conte a week to prepare for every single game. I'd back a Conte side for for all his flaws. I, I would back him in that situation. I mean, he's shown it with Juve and Chelsea, and even with Italy to an extent as well in the past. That that's where he that's where he earns his money, really. But Kev, Juve, um, it's just kind of reflective of something that we've already known, right? This Juve team aren't what we've known them to be over the last nine years. I think Dejan Kulusevski showed more in half an hour on the pitch than anyone else did in, in the 90 in just that he ran a bit and he moved and he wanted the ball and he looked for the ball. It was it's just a bit bleak for, for Juve. Yeah, it's... Um, well, it's worrying if you're, if you're a Juventus fan. It's almost like this has been coming for the last uh, year to 18 months. You wonder if you can almost, not that it's the reason, uh, but you can kind of link it to the sign of Ronaldo. Almost this star over the collective, you know, a little bit what like Milan have at the moment. Juve had this side that had been together for so many years. It had kind of one, um, let's call it an evolution, um, when Allegri took over from Conte. And and they tr- they tried this move to Sari, different style of football. I think everybody accepted that um, they were still so strong that a, a, a minor blip to performances would still retain the total, which it did last year, but they probably couldn't go on for a second season, which it which it has. And you just, I wonder whether they could have kept Sari to almost see them through this sort of period of transition, lumped any loss of the total on him this season rather than throw in one of their legendary, recent legendary players under the bus with Pirlo because as much as he's shown maybe that he hasn't been able to integrate his ideas quickly, he has been given a relatively difficult task, certainly a, a, a more difficult task than Allegri had when he took over from Conte. Or I think maybe it was when he took over from Conte and then uh, if it was the year after that he lost uh, the likes of Pirlo and Vidal and, you know... Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think we, we a few of us maybe saw it coming, uh, but this year it, it, they just they they've never got off of the ground really. Uh, other than that Milan game, I, I've not been convinced with, with them one bit. No, do you think um, Sauri's almost sitting at home wherever he is, whatever he's doing, saying, "I, I told you I didn't do that bad a job because he won the league with this team," but. Anyway, look, that's just the most recent of the nine games to have been played. And the first of the nine was was quite something else as well. It was another derby. It was the, the Rome derby. And 
I mean, if we're talking about games that weren't really a contest, this is another one that you've got to throw into that category, Vito, because Lazio played at home in the Stadio Olimpico and they won 3-0. And, I mean, they were gifted two of the goals by some dreadful Roma defending. Oh, definitely. Um, you can credit uh, Manuel Lazzari, who indeed had a fantastic game for his uh, perseverance and ability to pounce on those mistakes. But, um, yeah, it just, to me, it showed that uh, with uh, Fonseca, the Roma coach, I mean, he can set up a team to attack, but uh, uh, this game, Lazio exposed Roma's defensive frailties. I don't think it's more it's an individual problem, but just more the more the system than anything else. Uh, the way Roma played, and they had a lot of possession, but it was you know meaningless possession, meaningless uh, possession of the ball, rather futile. And uh, Lazio were playing on the counter attack, but they were swift and they were effective and. Uh, uh, Lazio have the players that will really do some damage on the counter-attack and that's what they did. Lazzari had the two assists in the first half and he had a good hand in the third which uh, Luis Alberto scored which was also the Spaniards' third for the game but uh, even Paulo Lopez had to make two really good saves to really limit the damage for Roma. Do you think it's a case of Fonseca not being... I don't know, flexible or adaptable. Because like you said, he knows how to set a team up to attack. Um, and it was so straightforward for Lazio. It just took a, a ball over the top and they were in. <laughs> seemingly every time. Mm. And Fonseca seemingly did nothing. Yeah. Well, I think that just uh, that's the thing with uh, foreign tacticians. Don't get me wrong. I do like having them in Serie A because they will encourage a more proactive uh, mindset uh, very few of them uh, get lured in into embracing the old school conservative Italian way of playing. But it's still important to implement basic defensive structures and uh, have some awareness of uh, defensive principles. If you can't uh, get your team to do the basic defensive things, I mean, that's a concern. Sure, for the first goal, Ibanez should not have lost the ball to Lazzari like he did. But, uh, you know, uh, to me, it wasn't just the errors. It was also the organisation of the defence or the lack of it. So uh, it's important for any coach, regardless if they're Italian or foreign, that if you're going to be playing an attacking style of football, you've got to be better prepared to avoid being exposed on the counter-attack. As we discussed before... Uh we came on. I was quite drunk during this game, but I could have swore I heard someone say that Roma hadn't beaten any of the top nine sides this season. Is that a is that a statistic? Either of you can. Uh, Kev, you do this every week. You you come in a with a statistic there. that we could check before coming on recording, and I always say you can't spring <laughs> this on us during recording. Oh, okay, sorry, but every week you do it again. Well, I've they drew with six. Milan, they drew with Juve, they lost to Atalanta, they lost to Lazio, obviously. Um, I can't think of their other results at the moment. I, I, I only say that because you look at them in the table, you know, fourth place, you know, arguably certainly doing better than last season. And you kind of wonder how they got there and you kind of do get that if you can just if you can just pick up three points against the sides in sort of the lower reaches of the, the table. But 
Um, there was something I saw uh, yesterday online. It's not a statistic, so don't worry. Uh, although, I can, although I can get this one right, it was a um, it was the third goal, which uh, consisted of twenty two passes from all eleven players, and uh, some site. I'm pretty sure I liked it. If anybody's following me on Twitter, uh, sped it up. But the thing that stuck out to me about it wasn't the eleven players involved in the move, wasn't the twenty two passes. That it was even sped up. It looked like Roma were were running and closing down at like normal speed. So what they were doing in real time. Um, to go all the way back to Raider and then back up the pitch to score this goal just showed a real lack of effort towards the end of the game when they, they, they didn't see a way back. Can we sp- focus on the positives? Um, because I think Lazio deserve it to their credit. And two, two people, Kev, I want to highlight immediately. Luis Alberto, but I, I think we might have spoken about him after they win at Parma. But also Manuel Lazio. What a player and what a signing he was from Spal. Yeah, well, he makes that first goal mm. just by, you know, I know it's early in the game, everybody go, oh, you know, he's full of energy and he's, uh, you know, he will chase that down. But he does that, he does that for like an entire 90 minutes. He's up and down that flank, he's providing an attacking um, outlet for for the, the Lazio midfield uh, and, and he's solid at the back. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's been phenomenal since he's been there, really, and a huge part of their early success last season before they kind of had their. Um, post-lockdown sort of drop in form. Yeah, the drop is putting it kindly, I think. Um, Vito, can, can we give Simone Inzaghi some credit? The commentary team went big on him. They were saying that he's the most underrated coach in Serie A, and then they seemed to remember that there are quite a lot of good coaches in Serie A. But, I mean, Inzaghi has done a, a fine job there at Lazio. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Ever since... Uh... He took the job on a permanent basis, especially because Marcelo Bielsa was only there for about five days at the most. Um, he's really given this Lazio squad a structure and an identity. Um, there are some, I wouldn't say basic principles, but there are some concepts or ideas that really distinguish Inzaghi's Lazio team. And... With the continuity that they've had over the years, uh, it's like that they're really well drilled and they really know how to get the best out of themselves. And uh, I believe that Lazio's uh, recent successes um, have been largely due to him more so than, say, Lotito's spending, you know, whatever he spends, because he doesn't spend a lot, obviously, or Tare's identification of players. So I think it's really Inzaghi's tactical nous that has elevated the quality of these players. As for his standing amongst the coaches in Serie A, I reckon he's up there with one of the best. Look, I still prefer Gasparini. Um, I think the way he's really transformed Atalanta in his time there has been incredible, and they play some of the best football in Italy. And uh, Inzaghi, you know, he's up there. Conte, as stubborn as he is, he's, <laughs> he's still got the record. His records, he's a winner. And uh, although he's got his own way of playing, he's got the silverware. And um, and probably after those three, um, you've got to give credit to De Zerbi for what he's done with uh, Sassuolo. After Di Francesco left, they've had other coaches, but De Zerbi has made them an attractive team again. And uh, 
maybe we'll talk about the latest result, but in general, uh, Sassuolo, they're still a top-half team and still an outside chance of at least getting a European spot. And I think his style of football is a big part of that. Right, we will come on to Sassuolo in just a little bit, but before we start dipping down the table a little bit, the, the game that kicked off Sunday's action was played at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona, where Napoli beat Fiorentina 6-0. Second time they've scored six at home this season, obviously Napoli having beaten Genoa back in, well, at the beginning of the season. I can't remember what month it was in now. And obviously they hit Atalanta for four there as well. And Kev, you look at this scoreline and you think, wow, that must have been incredibly one-sided. And then you see that Fiorentina had more shots and more possession and think, oh, it, it was just a case of Napoli being absolutely ruthless. Yeah, if you'd watched um, if you watched last week's game when Napoli played Udinese and only beat them 2-1, but I think uh, Musso was forced into oh, a lot of saves anyway. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to throw statistics out there that I can't back up. Um, it, it was one of those where they can go through games where everything they hit go, will go in or they will sort of narrowly get by because you know a couple of crucial efforts um go for them and again on the other opposite side of that is Fiorentina were terribly wasteful at times um for all of that possession for all those chances they created I can only really recall a really good save from a spina from Ribery where you thought they they looked like a scoring and getting back into the game because I think at that point it was only one nil because Insigne scored so early and then the the two late goals um, just before half time sort of kind of put the game out of sight, but um, yeah, it wasn't it, it it wasn't the the performance if you like um, that the scoreline suggested. Kev, Lorenzo hmm. Insigne is a snake. I saw you were a little bit disappointed that he hadn't handed the. Uh, this is outrageous. It was outrageous. It's not about me, my disappointment. Patania put his first goal on a plate for him and then he set up another one and he's a striker and you're comfortably winning. If Insigne was on a hat-trick, fair enough, Insigne take the penalty. What score was it at that point? It was about 4-0, right? Yeah, it was 4-0. Padania's not scored. He's played out of his skin and he's about to go off. Give him the penalty. If he's been told to take penalties, Connor, no, I'm gonna... he, gives it, he gives it to somebody else and they miss. No, I'm absolutely human. So he's upset. I'm fuming, Kev, because Patania was on pens at Spal and he took them all away. He doesn't miss them. I was absolutely beside myself with anger because they almost had a penalty earlier. And I thought, oh, give it and just let Patania take it. And then when they actually got a penalty, I thought, great, Patania's going to get his goal. But no, little Lorenzo had to be greedy, didn't he? And he couldn't hand over the duties. But Vito, if if we're going to stop if I'm going to stop poking fun at <laughs> Lorenzo Insigne, that we've got to talk about the pass he played for, for Chucky Lozano's goal. My God. Well, that was another superb pass. And uh, before that, he actually made a bursting run on the left. So, yeah, just that whole assist in uh, general, that was uh, sublime stuff. It shows that, you know, Insigne, when he's on, he's a, he's a superb player to watch. And he can be a very inventive player i just think that with um, you know playing for napoli his hometown club and sometimes it really depends on the tactics that 
the coaches have used over the years. Sometimes they probably don't get the best out of him, but when he's uh, when it's his day, uh, he's a delight to watch, and uh, he can be a real difference maker too. Yeah, I don't want to take sorry, I don't want to take anything away from the past. Oh but my God. the the run the run obviously is crucial to it. But that's where I think players that can play on like Insigne's level get really frustrated if they if they're playing with players that don't make you know because they can play that ball. Other players that maybe haven't played with players that can do it are hesitant to make that run. And you know when everything comes together, you know these these players can shine. It must be terribly frustrating if you've got that in your locker and you you've got players around you that can't take advantage of it. That's why the the front three of him of Insigne, Callihan, and Mertens worked so well because. They were always on the same page as each other. You know, it just clicked without them even needing to look. But Kev, I was going to come to you because I hadn't realised Napoli had stopped wearing the Argentina kit until today. Uh, when did this happen? They stopped after Christmas. I remember noting him, I put in my notes, uh, I think the first game back after the Christmas break. <laughs> but then they did wear it because they had a kit clash with somebody and went back to the strip. And I don't think oh. it's their official... Away strip. Uh, Why would it be there? That is now. I don't know what their away strip. They usually have a lot of kits, but yeah, Vito has quite helpfully pointed out. Um, Fiorentina were red. Well, yeah, because they've got about fifteen kits. Any need uh, for for that though? <laughs> no. <laughs> for many years, for many years, Napoli with the light blue. And uh, Fiorentina with the violet or the la viola was fine. So to put red, not really necessary. But do they still have the green kit and the white kits? Because they've got those four, is it the four regions of Florence, and that's what the colour. I remember when they brought those four kits out. It was the the colours for the region that they play in the the Calcio style. Three years ago. Yeah, it was. But then they seem to always have them and always be playing in various different colours. And I know it's sort of. All heart back to that, that old regional uh, element of the. Of the I know. think this season Fiorentina's away kit is white, and then the red is their third. Um, not sure why a team not in Europe needs a third kit, mind, but there you go. Um, onto a club with four kits, two of them being away, um, and one of them being worn on Sunday. Parma, they got a they got a point. I almost said another point. They haven't got many. Um, they went away to Sassuolo who wear black and green, and Parma wore their yellow Kev. Um, I told you, kit fetishes <laughs> in Italian football. If this fixture season, last season, Parma wore their home kit. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, next year, I think I'm going to log how many different strips, or let's say just shirts, because strips would get crazy. Uh, mm. Italian clubs do, because it's definitely... Definitely the biggest in Europe. <laughs> Please uh, do. Um, but, uh, look, let's talk about the football because Parma, I mean, they were without a whole back line. Gagliolo, Bruno Alves, who else? Azorio and Lautaro Valenti were all out. Um, they were probably lucky that Sassuolo were missing Locatelli Boga and who was the other one, Berardi. But to their credit and to Roberto Diversa's credit, really, Kev, Parma set up very, very well. And they kept Sassuolo out until a, a last-minute penalty. Yeah, that's what you know, when the when the penalty was given, which I, I, I don't didn't see who made the um, committed the foul. Maxime Buzzi. Um, 
but the player was going away from goal, so it was kind of a, a stupid challenge to make in those circumstances. And you thought, well, OK, Palmer haven't threatened too much going forward today, so maybe they deserve it. And I actually thought, you know, and I thought, no, you should, you should praise actually the rearguard action of Palmer, particularly because they, they've looked so much of a mess in, in, in recent weeks. Um, and certainly certainly doesn't help them now they're down um, second bottom. No, I mean, they had a, a debutant, a 17-year-old debutant whose name I haven't learned how to say yet, so I'm not going to try. It's, a, it's an awkward one. There's a C and a K and an X in there, and I'm not sure where to begin with it. And then Jacoponi playing alongside him, and then Boozy, who gave away the penalty. He's, he's young as well, and he, he's only just come into this Palmer side, and I do think it's going to take mistakes like that for some of these players to learn but I mean on the positive side Alberto Grassi was back in the team uh Uri Kutska was starting again he almost had his he- well he did have his head split open inside 60 seconds from big bad Vlad Kirikesh doing what he does uh, just being terrible at football really um and then Kutska went on to score with that bloodied head which I quite enjoyed I don't know why there was just something about a man with his head strapped up and blood pouring through, scoring a header. It was a good header, but it is, it is a strange, it is a strange way they've been strapping up these injuries in Italy of late. I saw one, um, it must have been last week, where they put this fishnet mm. now over the top of their head, as opposed to just the old traditional. Was it was wrong? The old traditional, just loads and loads of wrapping around. No, it, it looks like he's running around with a condom on his head. Well, if you're wearing a fishnet condom, people, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, just a warning From out there. Far. From afar, Kev, you pedant. Um, but anyway, a good point for Parma, but given the context of it, Vito, I think this is a game where both teams will feel like they dropped two points, oddly. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Oh, indeed. 
in Sassuolo's case, they'll feel disappointed because they would surely want to maintain a place in the European spots or stay within that fight. And for Parma, since they've brought the Versa back, uh, I'm sure they would want to do all they can to avoid the drop at every cost. It does sound like that uh, with the Versa back, though, the getting their structures back, um, you know, stick it to what they were known for under the Versa, which was uh, def- defensive solidarity and uh, hitting teams on the break. So I think in bringing him back, they've just made things easier for the squad and uh, probably for their sake, maybe better results will follow after this. I have a theory about Sassuolo that I'm kind of springing it on you guys. I'm not expecting you to have an opinion on it now because it takes a bit of watching them with this in your head to to think about it. I I firmly believe that Ciccio Caputo, uh, who's the other one? Manuel Locatelli, Gianmarco Ferrari, and Andrea Consigli are all the same person because they've all got the very same look. I mean, Caputo has the shortest hair of them all, but when you see them all now, it's very hard to differentiate between them. I mean, Locatelli's got a slightly lighter shade of hair, but... Kev, watch out for it next time you're watching Sassuolo. They're all the same person, I'm telling you. Do, do you think it could be uh, some sort of long-held secret that one of the uh, Sassuolo hierarchy have, have, have secretly fathered these children and they're bringing them back into the, the bosom of the family without them knowing about it and they're going to spring it on them <laughs> at the end of their careers? Quite possibly. I mean, Deserbi might have a few questions to answer there because he's got a similar kind of look going, but he's just not as handsome as the others, really. Um, so, yeah, it's one to keep an eye on. Kev, I'm glad you're firmly on board with that. I didn't know if you would be, but you, you climbed right up onto this bandwagon with me. So thank you for joining me. I'd say it's the facial hair. Yeah, that's a big part of it. It is a big part of it, Vito. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's because... Uh... I watched a documentary over the weekend um, of... Uh, uh, Inside Sassuolo. No, it was a, a doctor in the starting in the 30s, I think it was, and he um, was doing inf- infertility treatment. It turns out that he was using his own sperm on over 100,000 patients for about 30 years. It's called Baby God. It's very, um, it's very interesting if you get... Sorry, what was he doing? He was using his own sperm in interfer- infertility treatment. As in... Uh, administering right how's he doing that well he was he was asking the husband <laughs> to obviously donate but he was using his own own donation because he knew it was working and would go and do a sample swap and uh, the women went away and had uh, children that they never knew were fathered by the thought they were husbands but uh, so he had what hundreds of little kids running around the place they reckon it went into the uh, could be tens of thousands he wow. did it for 30 years and we'll see lots of families in the Vegas area. Anyway, we've, right. gone, we've um, gone well. Yeah, we, we've gone off of one there. Uh, <laughs> what's the name of the documentary, though? Because I'm going to watch that. Baby God. Baby God. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll jot that down and give it a look. Elsewhere in Serie A this weekend, I, I think the biggest shock came down in Calabria, Vito, where Crotone beat Benevento 4-1. And they were 4-0 up as well until Iago Falco scored in the 82nd minute. Yeah, it was uh, quite surprising that Crotone won so comprehensively. 
Benevento absolutely dominated Serie B when they were there together, and uh, the winning margin overall was 18 points. So Benevento won that championship very easily. But uh, now, just yeah, this result was completely out of nowhere. Uh, some nice goals from Crotone, especially from uh, Milos Vulic in the second half. That was a lovely right foot strike. But uh, Korta still had to make some excellent saves. The one he made from uh, Perperim Hetamai was a spectacular one. Um, I reckon if Hetamai had scored that, that would have been a contender for goal of the season. It was an incredible scissor kick. So I felt a bit disappointed that he didn't score that. But the save from Korta just reminded me of why that guy has been such a stalwart for that side. I mean, when, he's another guy that when he's on his good day, um, Cordaz is a superb goalkeeper. And if Crotone have any hope of getting off the bottom of the table, be because uh, he can pull off some incredible saves. That, that dominance uh, shown last year by Benevento has really been seen in their performances this year, I think, in, in Syria, because they've sort of they've, they've had a lot of positivity about their play. So it was really surprising that Crotone got anything from it. But it's brilliant because there's like six points separating the, the bottom eight sides. It's a, it is a, it's a lot of fun down there. I, I, Benevento, I mean, like you said, they're dominant. They have been by far the best of those newcomers. So to see them get pumped like this against Crotone was quite eye-opening for me. And I, I confess, I didn't watch this game. I chose the the wrong one in Sassuolo Parma. So I'm, I'm judging. I'm taking your guys' better judgment for this. Um, Vito Sampdoria won to to welcome you back to the podcast. They went one nil down to Udinese. Uh, thanks to uh, Rodrigo De Paul, goal 10 minutes into the second half. But then big Antonio Candreva scored from the penalty spot with some absolute filth. And then Ernesto Torregrossa scored um, a towering header. Haha. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure everyone who speaks a bit of Italian will enjoy that joke. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Yep. For those who don't know, his name actually <laughs> means uh, Great Tower. So... There you go. But uh, it was quite fitting too. Uh, I only got to saw the second half of this game. Um, I had a look at one of the Sampdoria fan pages or even the official Sampdoria page on Facebook. And one person posted that the game was being played at a walking pace. And one of the replies was, oh, if football was played at a pedestrian place, Sampdoria would be in the Champions League for that kind of stuff. <laughs> But uh, back to back to this game, yeah, um, could have done better on the first goal. I mean, it took uh, the Paul uh, three bites of the cherry to actually put the ball into the back of the net. But uh, it was a good reaction by the Lucercati. Um, Candreva scored with a absolutely delightful chip, and he scored a few of those when he was at Lazio. So it's good that he's still doing it for Ildoria and. Uh, the winning goal, that's an excellent example of wing play. I mean, beautiful cross by Algello and Torre Grosso with the header. Um, I honestly think that uh, he's an ideal fit for the way Claudio Ranieri sets the team up. And uh, at Brescia, I think with the 4-3-1-2 they were using when he was there, Corini, Grosso and uh, Diego Lopez, I don't think it really suited him, but he still did all right. But I think now, with uh, the kind of uh, wingers that some have and fullbacks, 
um, I think he's going to get much better service and uh, his stay in Serie A might be a bit longer. It's interesting that you say um, he looks a good fit, Vito, because he's one of the few players, well, I don't know a few players, but when I was watching the game, when he came in off the bench, I just thought, he looks like he's been there for forever. Mm. You know, it's rare you see someone sort of come in and look that familiar with his surroundings. Um, and, and yeah, it's, so I just thought it was uh, interesting you said that. Yeah, yeah well, go. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, well, if we're talking about his movement and all that, yeah, he, um, yeah, he fitted in seamlessly. Just, uh, yeah, really got into the game, positioned himself well, worked hard for the team. So from that perspective, yeah, it was fantastic. On a more lighthearted note, or maybe even a more cynical note, from behind, I sort of felt with his long hair and the way he wore his uniform, he actually reminded me of... Edgar Barreto, but I thought he's moving too well and his touches on the ball were a lot better. So I thought, yeah, Barreto's gone. It's Torregosa. So yeah, don't say that to yourself. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's Torregosa. What a relief. So I had to check my heart a few times. Um, I, I, I put this out on Twitter and I'm going to run it past you guys as well because, Kev, obviously you're someone who watched Luis Suarez quite a lot in his time at Liverpool and this is something that I have to say it's it's not my own turn of phrase it, it came from the the Spanish football podcast Sid Lowe and Phil Kittramalides and I think it was Sid Lowe who, who came up with it but he always praised Luis Suarez for having a big arse and I think Torre Grossa has that same thing and, and not in a literal sense but just the way he can use his arse to just bump defenders out of the way and get in between the defender and the ball, I think it's a remarkable skill, and he's probably one of the best around at it. Yeah, uh, certainly. I think Luis had a a way of, if you like, uh, rolling people off the ball, mm. but also had a had a knack of sort of running through them at times. Um, as for Torregrossa's um, ass, I'll um, I'll let I'll let you keep. Uh, I said non-literal. Keep admiring his uh, his posterior, <laughs> and I'll keep an eye out for it. Okay, Sounds like I can't much. I can't miss it. That's all I wanted. <laughs> I, I need to stress. I'm talking figuratively here. I, I've not actually noticed. He seems quite a slim guy. I'd be surprised if he had a big arse, but in a figurative sense, he uses it well. Mm-hmm. Um, Atalanta Genoa. This was a bizarre game because for 15 minutes Genoa were excellent um, going forward. They gave Pierluigi Gallini all sorts of problems, but then for the guts of an hour, they said, "All right, we've done our attacking. Now we're not going to score, so we'll just try and stop them from scoring." And they camped out on the edge of their box, but they got the job done. And to their credit, Maziello, Perin, and Co. They did very, very well in this one, Kev. Uh, yeah, I, I said I watched the last 20 minutes and uh, it sounded very much in the commentary that it had been a lot like that for most of the game. And when I uh, when I saw some of the, you probably call it professional, um, you know, taking a, a little shove off of somebody in the air and then rolling around for you know, a couple of extra rolls and then just taking a bit of time to get up, I thought, well, if the whole game's been like that, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bore myself by watching the whole thing but no it was a hard watch but you've got to do what you've got to do you know they're down there they're in a fight they're, they're in a fight every season Genoa um, you know it's a great point for them I'm sure Vito would uh, agree and he's loved it <laughs> he looks happy doesn't he 
Why did they bring Baladini back? If, uh, if, he wasn't, if he wasn't there, Atalanta would have won 6 0. I don't know, 10 0. Is, is that five points from nine, though? With Baladini? They yeah, beat... I think he's, he's picked up points in four of his five games. Four, okay. I think, um, but again, you've just kind of lumped that on us in the middle. Definitely, definitely won last week, and I thought they drew the week before. Yeah, they, uh, they did well in midweek against Juve in the Coppa Italia as well, so he does seem to have turned them around for now, because look, it's his fourth stint in charge of the club. We know how it ends. He turns them around for a bit, then it becomes awful, then he has a fight with the president, they get sacked, and then he comes back in a year. It just... Let it run its natural course, Vito. You don't need to worry too much. You'll probably win the next derby and you'll be laughing again. Um, I mean, yes, did, if we win. I, I've got to say, or ask, Kev, did you, were you watching when Josip Bilicic went off? Yes. That was amazing. Yes. Right? What yes, was that? We turned over and Stace, um, my wife, everybody, uh, was going, what's he doing? I went, well... <laughs> I said, it's a bit like when you used to watch me play and I'd be sent off and then I wouldn't walk far enough away from the line and then they'd ask me to take my shirt off because apparently I was, I was uh, sort of disrupting play. Um, but I'll tell you what, it's, um, <laughs> I was going to be cruel. I was going to be really cruel, actually. I don't know how this... Uh, I always used to kind of call referees uh, sort of bullied school children or whatever or failed footballers. Mm. And um, I think that was just an element of just... just He's walking off. Just let him go. You know, he's, he, he, well, he was standing there, wasn't he? He was, he was trying to sort of see yeah, the last the linesman. minute, you know, of the game. And it's like, he's doing nothing. It really doesn't. It really doesn't affect play all that much. And the referee, it's, it's almost, there was uh, the, the last sort of midweek uh, rounds when Nandez got sent off for Calgary. And the ref insists, you know, the mm. ref is going to walk back to the middle of the pitch. So walk to the player, tell him what you've got a problem with and book him. Don't stand there and waste everybody's time for three minutes and demand the player walks to you. And it was a bit like that. And it frustrates me on both parts because Illicic can just be the bigger man and actually start walking away and the ref can just turn around and because it's a couple of minutes left. just let. Well, in this case, he, he did, right? Because he got taken off and he stood beside the linesman Don't trying know. to say, you know, that was our ball. You know, that was our ball. And the linesman was ignoring him. So then the ref said, right, go away. So he stepped over the at the advertising board and then the ref was still telling him to go. And he was like, well, you can understand his point of view, right? Because with the new substitution things, you have to go off at the nearest point of the pitch. So he did that. So now it, it's not up to him anymore. So then the referee was given out. So he took his shirt off and then the referee was still giving out. So he tried to climb into the stands. <laughs> he got up onto the second advertising board and he was just sitting there like there's nowhere i can go here oh see that's see that's where i got confused because i think i i must have taken my eye off it because then i saw him sat on the advertising holdings again that and was I the thought, second is he, one. Is he yeah, i didn't realize there was a second one so i thought is he coming back on <laughs> are we now gonna this this would be this, this would be i was gonna say classic Ilicic, but because he's a little bit you know he's one of those those playmakers, you know, they've always got a bit of an edge to them, you know, and he's suddenly, he's found this form, you know, he's been phenomenal the last couple of weeks, and then he goes and punches a referee or something, he gets himself a 10-game ban, but didn't happen. Didn't happen. Still, still it didn't happen. It would have been funny if it had, but yeah, I mean, Ilicic isn't the guy you want climbing over fences either. He, he's His nickname is The Grandmother, 
because his body just isn't cut out for sport. You don't want him climbing things. Gasparini must have been having a heart attack watching that happen. Um, In the other games of the weekend, Bologna beat Verona 1-0 in what I would consider to be a surprise result, Vito, but Verona have slowed down just a little bit recently. Uh, look, with them, yeah, they're not always going to be consistent because they've had big changes to their squad. And, uh, you know, as great as Ivan Juric has been doing with that team, we can't expect them to be performing at a consistent level. Um, as with Bologna, they did win thanks to that Orsolini penalty, but uh, yeah, they're another side that uh, on the day they're capable of getting results. So, um, yeah, I think at this stage, at least with Bologna, they should be grateful that they managed to get another win on the board. As for Verona, I think uh, it's, a, it's a slip, but for them it's not also the end of the world. I mean, uh, once they get back to the Bentegori, I'm sure they'll be um, in there getting a result and capable of getting a win, albeit, you know, not by a comprehensive margin that, that was Bologna's first win since round nine. They're dreadful. I had to look that up because I thought to myself, they haven't won for ages. Wow, it was week nine. Then I looked at the table. They're 12th. How are they still 12th? But it's just because they've been picking up draws everywhere. And it, and it, will, it will save you if you're a struggling side, picking up those draws. You know, we, we just discussed Genoa getting a point at Atalanta. And, mm. and, and it can save you. Yeah, it's depressing though, isn't it? Like, because... Very. <laughs> it's just grim but Kev they've only drawn five games Bologna well maybe most of them have come in that last sort of little spell yeah. that's, what's, that's what's done it for me those you think some a team that hasn't won for what would be now nine rounds of games or eight rounds of games for today would have fallen further mm. um, but you know I quite like Mihailovic to be honest I, I, like, I, like, I like him a lot a lot of his coaching appointments um Obviously, he's been through a, a fair bit, and, and I love the city of Bologna. You know, I think we discussed that when I went there a couple mm. of years ago. But so yeah, I'm not I'm not too anti the fact that they're doing this, but it was a bit surprising that it's, it's taken them that long to 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 get three points. I don't get me wrong, I don't I don't want them to get relegated. If them and Palma both got relegated in the same season, with Spal having been relegated last year, I'd probably have to move. Because <laughs> it's just Sassuolo left and in Emilia Romagna. So please, Parma, Bologna, do not fall into Serie B. Please, please, please. The the other game of the weekend that was played was, of course, the last one we're going to talk about because it involved Torino. They drew nil-nil with Spezia. And Marco Giampaolo Vito very much looks like he is on his way out of the Stadio Olimpico Grande Torino now. It looks that way. Davide Nicola has been linked with the job and is likely to be his replacement. And uh, although I do feel a bit sorry for Giampaolo, I think at the end of the day, it is about results. And also with this Granata side, I'm not convinced that the players are really playing for him. There have been times where his ideas have come across a bit, but... Uh, I think this team is so used to counter-attacking football and the players are workmanlike. Um, I, I reckon that maybe if they do get Nicola, they might be a bit more responsive to him and uh, they might be able to survive. But for Giampaolo, I think this is a huge blow to his career because he had a setback with Cesena 
nearly a decade ago, and then he had a rather mysterious time at Brescia, so should we say, and uh, he had to rebuild his career again. But now, if he's going to get sacked from this, um, I don't think he's got much of a Serie A career left. They, they play for 82 minutes with an extra man. Yeah. And they did not have a shot on target. <laughs> that is a damning statistic for that performance. And it wasn't, you know, they weren't playing against a 10-man Juventus, 10-man Milan. They were playing a newly promoted side with 10 men for 82 minutes. Shocking. Mm. Absolutely shocking. <laughs> and and Sirigu saved them from losing too. And probably losing uh, comprehensively. So that's even scarier. They're bad, aren't they? I think, um, I think Torino, and just the talk of Nicola as well, reinforces this opinion because he's obviously one of Preziosi's recent mates. Um, I think Torino are just becoming Genoa. <laughs> mm, probably not as um, not as outrageous or no I mean they've crazy. got they've got good strikers in Belotti Genoa always have good strikers and the rest of the team is just nowhere near as good as it should be I think it's just it's Genoa mm. all over anyway um, like I said at the top Cagliari play Milan on Monday evening Kev why are you laughing I was just going to say but uh Unlike unlike uh, Torino, Genoa don't have a much larger city rival. <laughs> Sorry, Vito. I'm not going to acknowledge it. <laughs> I'm not going to bite. Um, <laughs> just going to let that sit. Guys, it's time for the game. Milan play Cagliari on Monday evening. We're not talking about it because it hasn't been played yet. So, Milan fans, pipe down. You got your team's music as the outro last time round. Right, so I've not got a clue. <laughs> what the scores are when we last played who we've used in the game uh, we'll try and regroup when there's an international break so it'll be chaos until March and then we'll try to it out uh, Kev I'm going to let you go first this time um, what do we do two minutes, two and a half minutes two minutes yeah let's go, let's go All right. Uh, three, two, one, go is it a foreign player it is a foreign player, yes. Do they play in the north of Italy? They do play in the north of Italy. You've changed your um, approach, which is quite um, interesting. Yes, I know. I've planted I was, the I, seed I, in your head now, haven't I? I, I? I don't think you have. Uh, 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 do they play for either Milan club? They do not play for one of the clubs in Milan. Vito, it's over to you. Do they play for any of the Turinese clubs? They do play in that city, yes. Is it a Juventus player? It is a Juventus player, yes. Oh, Kev, you're in trouble already. Look okay. At this. He's uh, back in it. I've got a lot of foreign right. players, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> fair, cool. All right, is this player a midfielder? He is a midfielder, so the, he's, Vito's going to smash you, Kev. Okay. Um, is it Dejan Kulusevski? It is not Dejan Kulusevski. No. It's even class as a midfielder, Vito. Okay. Yeah, it's um, a fair point. Yeah. I would have him as a midfielder, but I'd I'd win when you Yeah, mid, midfielder forward. Yeah, with him. So, oops, sorry. <laughs> uh, is it? Um, are they North American? They are not North American. Oh. No, that was a strange way of just saying. Is it Weston McKenney? <laughs> Vito. <laughs> <over here. laughs> All right. Okay. Is it Aaron Ramsey? It's not Aaron Ramsey. Kev, is this is ben, amazing. Is it, is it Bentancur? It's not Rodrigo Bentancur. Vito. 
Rabio. No, neither of you deserve to win this. Arto. You have 20 seconds left. Arto. No. Oh, God. Jeez. Oh, my God. <laughs> All these foreign midfielders and we Eight, can't get it. Seven. Six. Oh, wish Sammy Kadira? He's got it with a second left. It's Sammy Kadira. Vito has won with a Almost shot. Almost certainly the had Sammy Kadira already. Drama. But... <laughs> 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 oh. Do you know what? It was it was going to be Adrian Rabio, but then I opened the Juve squad and I saw Kadira and I thought he's still oh, in. Yeah. <laughs> no, he was still there. Let's do mm. him. I'd, I'd like a steward's inquiry because I think we said there were, you know, you, you had to ask a question at a certain time, and Vito delayed for a long time before I could sort of All follow right, up Brandon. anybody. Just saying. <laughs> that's not what I'm here. You know, I, I don't think that's an issue of my age. I think that's an issue of me being. Um, not Kev, if you if you want to get all pedantic and say that you would have had a chance at winning that, I'm just going to throw back at you one your record in this game, and two, <laughs> the number of opportunities you had to win it. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't name foreign players that didn't play for you, though. <laughs> you know, I, I was close. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> um, although, in Sammy Kadira, Vito kind of did, didn't he? Um, name a player that doesn't play for you, though. But anyway, we're finished. Guys, we will speak to you. Do you know what? I don't know what's happening anymore in my life. I, I don't know where the next podcast is going to be recorded or when. But next Sunday evening, um, I might be at Palma Sampdoria. So we might speak to you after that. We will record on Sunday evening anyway, whatever happens. And we'll be with you on Monday morning. Um, goodbye, Vito. Bye, Connor. Goodbye, Kevin. Ciao, ciao. Yes, goodbye from me.
sono brividi forti e voglia di gridare perché il coro che famo tutti quanti insieme dice Lazio sei grande te volevo bene Lazio sul prato verde vola Lazio tu non sarai mai sola Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. 
Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.